Welcome back to the Eye on the Tigers podcast. I'm Dave Matter, Mizzou Athletics beat writer for the St. Louis Post-Dispatch and stltoday.com. The pod is back after a summer hiatus, uh, back with much demand from our fans wondering where in the world Ben Fredrickson and I have been. Um, We've just stepped away from the pod for a while. We're still doing our weekly Mizzou videos at stltoday.com. Um, but the pod is back, and we hope to uh, be with you every week during the Missouri football season, and eventually basketball season will be here. We're going to try to have a guest, special guest on the pod every week. Um, ben will be joining me sometimes, not every time. So today you're just stuck with me while he's busy uh, talking Cardinals and doing his chat and his columns and tracking down the uh, Stan Kroenke, L.A. Rams case. So he's very busy. Today we're busy talking Mizzou football. But we also will have a very special guest on the pod later, one of my favorite people in college football, one that one my favorite people that I've come across and covered and gotten to know in more than 20 years of doing this. That's the one and only Dave Steckel. You know him as Steck, longtime Mizzou assistant coach, former head coach at Missouri State, published author, um, Mr. Media these days. Now he's doing some broadcast work. Uh, he was on the Coastal Carolina radio team starting last year he's doing that again this year uh as he's living out in the uh, um, in the east coast but he will be the tv analyst for saturday's mizzou game against southeast missouri it's going to be on sec network plus 11 a.m kickoff and steck is going to be at memorial stadium doing the call on tv uh so which is really exciting for him i think mizzou fans will those of you who won't be at the stadium uh, we'll enjoy getting his takes. Uh, he's, he's learning this side of things, and we're going to talk all about that with him later on on the podcast. We talk about some football, some life after coaching, go down memory lane a little bit about his time with Gary Pinkle and the staff at Mizzou for the 14 years he was here. So stick around for that. Um, before that, though, I, I guess it's time to look back a little bit on Mizzou's 35-28 loss at Kentucky. I was there in Lexington on Saturday along with uh, Post-Dispatch columnist Benjamin Hockman. Um, I picked Kentucky to win this game by a touchdown going in to the first SEC game of the season. Um, you know, I, I thought it'd be more of a low scoring game, but it, that the outcome didn't really surprise me at all. I just thought they had a little bit more talent, a little bit more established talent, fewer question marks. Mark Stoops is a great coach and they're playing at home. So you give them a little bit of an advantage there. Uh, we'll get to the, uh, the atmosphere here a little bit later, but I was just really impressed with Kentucky. That's my first takeaway. Uh, I don't quite understand why they're not nationally ranked yet. I mean, I understand that they're not a household name and maybe off the radar of some voters, but I'm not an AP poll voter for the college football poll this year. If I were, you know, I'm pretty confident saying I'd have Kentucky ranked, you know, somewhere in the high teens, low twenties. I was just really impressed. Very complete team, very solid up front. Um, yeah, I thought that was the difference in the game along the line of scrimmage. They were just better. They kind of blew Missouri off the ball, and, and they put a lot of pressure on Connor Bazelak with their with their front. Um, so yeah, I was I was really impressed. I, I think they can give Florida a run as the second best team in the East. I really do. I think Florida's got some things to sort out. Very good team, also, but I I, I do think Kentucky's uh, a little bit closer right now to challenging Georgia in the East than than Missouri is. And of course, they have the head to head tiebreaker right now which is really valuable when it just comes to you know um bowls and everything like that and and if they should be in contention for the east although it looks 
like this is Georgia's division to lose for sure. But back to Kentucky, I was really impressed with Will Levis, transfer quarterback from Penn State. I think he's got a little Baker Mayfield swagger to him. Um, you know, he's got playmakers. He had Chris Rodriguez, a tailback, who we knew was really good going into this game, and, and I was really impressed again. Wandale Robinson, the transfer wide receiver from Nebraska, made a quick impression on this game and was a playmaker throughout. Every time he touched the ball, it seemed like he was taking it to the house or at least close. Um, he was outstanding. You know, Missouri had some firepower with, with Bazelak and Tyler Beatty, but they just didn't have enough. And, um, you know, I, I thought offensively it was a pretty good game for Missouri considering they scored 28 points. It's the most they've scored against Kentucky since 2017. And like Eli Drinkwood said earlier this week, they really just came up one play short. You know, they had a chance to tie it there in the final minutes, um, but it was one time they just couldn't sustain a drive. So I think you come away from that game fairly impressed with the offense, but not so much on the defense. Lots to talk about this week about the Mizzou defense, deservedly so. We've got two games now as far as the sample size, and they've just been trampled on the ground. There's, there's no other way to put it. Uh, I, th I thought what was interesting the other night, and I, I didn't catch this in real time, or if I did, I don't recall it. Uh, I usually write everything down that I see, but just watching the replay, the first two plays from scrimmage, Missouri opened with a five-man defensive line. They had uh, three defensive ends out there in, in Isaiah McGuire, Chris Turner, and Trey John Jeffcoat, and then they had two defensive tackles inside, uh, Akil Byers and Kobe Whiteside. And then behind them, two linebackers, three safeties, and just one corner. And it worked on the first play. Blaze Aldridge got a nice stop right around the line of scrimmage on, on a run play. And the second one, oh, boy, that was where uh, Wondell Robinson took the little jet sweep and almost scored a touchdown on it. If it weren't for Ennis Rakestraw and J.C. Carlisle uh, catching up with them, man, that would have been a touchdown on the second play of the game. They scored just a few more plays later. But interesting that Missouri tried to open with a five-man defensive line, and, and it still really didn't work on – on that jet sweep there played more four man the rest of the game. That's, that's their base conventional look. They did play with more three safety looks uh, than they did the first week instead of playing with three corners. So that put Sean Robinson on the field, either as a deep safety or more down in the box as a, as a seventh guy against the run. Uh, so he played a little more snaps than Chris Abrams drain the nickelback. Who's a smaller body type, more of a corner slot corner um, didn't really work a whole lot. They didn't really get much push or much resistance against the run at all, but it'll be interesting to see how that develops, you know, as the season unfolds, if they like uh, a certain look out there more so than another one, I, I, this still, this defense is still really a work in progress. There's just no other way to put it. Uh, they're, they're getting blown off the ball. They're, they're doesn't look like they're shedding blocks very well up front, not getting a lot of penetration. Um, you know, they're putting a lot on the linebacker shoulders to make all the plays. And those guys are, I say they're good players. They're not great players. Haven't been great yet this season. So it's until they figure this out, it's going to be a struggle on that side of the ball. There's, there's no other way of putting it. Uh, I, I do think that Kentucky has more talent on the field. I don't think there's any way to really dispute that. If you go back and looked, and I, I did this research last week, I, I didn't put in any stories, but since 2015, if you look at national recruiting rankings, if we use the 24-7 the sports national composite, Kentucky's average class from 2015 to 2021 was right at 33, which is pretty good. Um, 
Missouri hasn't been, you know, in the thirties very often. Missouri's average class in that time was 38. So not a big difference, but an average of five spots, that means you've got more talent on your roster, at least, at least higher, high, more highly touted recruits. Um, but I think the big difference is when you look closer at the numbers, just in those six, seven years, Missouri's classes, there was just a much wider range as far as the rankings go. You had one class at 25 in 2015, and then you had a class in, I think, 2019 or 2018 that was in the 50s. So a really big range. You know, most of those classes were in the 40s. Kentucky, all of their classes were from about 30 to 37. So very, very consistent recruiting from Mark Stoops. And I think that just showed up on the field the other night. And also, you got to mention his transfers. His transfers are more impressive players, or at least they 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 came in um, with more experience at the Power Five level. You got Will Levis, quarterback from Penn State. He, he played a decent amount for the Nittany Lions. You have Robinson, the receiver from Nebraska. He was the best player for Nebraska last year. And then uh, the left tackle, Rosenthal, uh, from LSU, LSU's left tackle. So those are three pretty good Power Five transfers who are immediate impact players for Kentucky. Mizzou, meanwhile, they added some some transfers that are playing right away, but you're talking about guys from Rice. You're talking about the cornerbacks from Tulsa. Not quite the same caliber. You've got a receiver from Ohio State, Mookie Cooper, who's, who's never played college football until a week ago. Um, so just kind of different caliber recruits there. And I think, again, that kind of stood out. Those players were making bigger plays for Kentucky, um, seemed a little bit more prepared on the bigger stage than some of these new guys for Missouri. Uh, so that's how that game played out. I, I, I thought the atmosphere was tremendous. Uh, loud crowd. They were into the game. They were there early. It was just a sea of blue out on the parking lots uh, in the tailgating scene. I think it's a really underrated atmosphere in the SEC because, um, you know, it's is it the same as Alabama or LSU? No, it's not. They don't have quite the, the size of the fan base. But that place was about 2,000 short of a full stadium, which is right around 60,000. Uh, Kroger Field is essentially the same size capacity-wise as Memorial Stadium at Mizzou. Um, but, you know, they came much closer to filling their place than Missouri did. And it's opener against Central Michigan. Now we'll see what Missouri's crowd looks like when they have an SEC game in a couple of weeks when Tennessee comes to Columbia. But I was impressed, um, and I always have been. I think it's a good place to go. If you're a Missouri fan, you haven't been to a road game, um, I think there's better atmospheres in the SEC, better college towns, but Lexington's a good spot to go. Lots of cool places. Uh, it's a neat scene. And I, I think, again, kind of an underrated game day atmosphere. The fans really showed up, and I, I think they made they impacted that game just with the uh, the, the the volume and, um, you know, just the, the crowd in general. Again, kind of an offensively slow start for Missouri. I, 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 I thought Bazelak was pretty good. Uh, Kentucky forces you to – be very methodical. You have to win with a controlled short passing game because they don't let you get anything over the top. They play their safeties pretty deep, very sound tacklers. Um, they keep everything in front of you. That's always been the case since Mark Stoops has been there and they force you into long methodical drives. And those are the kind of, the more snaps you have on offense, you know, the, the, the less margin of error you have and the, better chance you have of turning it over or, um, you know, not getting that first down. And uh, they, they just kind of force you into those long drives. And for the most part, 
Missouri did a pretty good job. They had touchdown drives of two of 75 yards and two for 80 yards. That's hard to do, especially on the road against a pretty good defense. But Tyler Beatty and, and Connor Bazelak made that happen um, with those four touchdown drives. Again, most points Missouri scored against Kentucky since 2017. And before that, you got to go back to 2013, which was arguably the best offensive team in Mizzou history when they were in the 40s against Kentucky. That's when Kentucky wasn't very good yet. Uh, so, yeah, it, Eli Drinkwood said it was – he called a really aggressive passing game in the second half, almost to a fault because they just, they're not hitting those deep shots yet. Vertical passes down the field. That's still, again, kind of a work in progress with Bazelak and his receivers and, and also just getting the pass protection that he needs. But he really credited uh, Bazelak with using his checkdowns. And I, I thought that showed a lot of growth for him. I mean, he was taking the short, easy passes and then, you know, letting his receivers get a few yards after after uh, contact or, or just hoping that they, um, you know, can move the sticks a little bit. And they and they did for the most part. I mean, a lot of those passes went to Tyler Beatty. The tight ends got involved. I think they had 11 targets between Nico Hay and Daniel Parker. Um, you know, Kiki Chisholm didn't do much in this game, had a couple drops other than the touchdown pass. Dominic Lovett got involved. Toski Dove was pretty reliable. So the short controlled passing game, it, it's not, you know, the most exciting thing, but it was fairly effective and it, it has to be effective against Kentucky because that's, that's the way you have to move the ball against them. So I, I don't, it wasn't a great, you know, brilliant offensive game for the Tigers, but I, I do think it was a step in the right direction uh, to be able to move the ball like that against a very solid Kentucky SEC defense on the road. Um, but they're going to have to be better the rest of the season. There, there's no doubt about that. Uh, and especially on the defensive side. I mean, that goes without saying. A um, couple other thoughts from games around the country. I'm curious to know, like, how are Mizzou fans processing that Arkansas-Texas game? I mean, for one, nobody likes Texas. We, we know that. Uh, I think Missouri fans and fans from really everywhere, uh, they enjoy, you know, seeing Texas lose and especially, you know, get a little come up. It's in the SEC kind of like, you know, are, are you sure you really want to join this conference? I mean, if you can't beat Arkansas, how are you going to do against Alabama and LSU and Ole Miss right now and Georgia and Florida? So uh, that was really interesting, surprising outcome. I, I picked Texas to win that game. I, I didn't know if they'd cover, but I thought that they would have enough talent to go in there and, and walk away with a win. Obviously, that did not happen. Uh, on the other hand, it's it's a signature win for Sam Pittman and Barry Odom. There's, there's no doubt about that. I mean, Texas isn't making the playoff this year, but I, I thought it was a really impressive, thorough win. They won with their philosophy, with their identity, hard-nosed, physical game. Uh, they pushed Texas around. And, uh, you know, that's still a Texas team that can win. They could maybe win nine, ten games in, in the Big 12 this year. I think they've got enough talent. Um, you know, it's young talent, but they've, they've got some pieces in place. But that's the kind of win for Arkansas that can really resonate with your fans and really rally your fans. I mean, the, the Hogs are going to be so much more jacked now to buy tickets and really invest in that program. You know, you're going to see some big crowds of their home games coming up because they're they're excited now. They've seen something. They've really experienced that huge win. I mean, you know, Arkansas did some good things last year, but at the end of the day, they they didn't have a very good record. They were in some games. They were competitive, um, but they weren't putting quality teams away. Well, now they just did, and it was Texas to boot. So 
be interesting to see what what comes out of that win just as far as the Arkansas program if they can uh you know turn that one solid win into into more and more it's not going to get any easier for them with their schedule though playing in the west uh from two other games that really impact Mizzou two future opponents lost their quarterbacks and one a very immediate opponent in Boston College Phil Jerkovic goes down with a wrist injury against UMass and all Boston College is saying right now it's, it's possibly a season-ending injury. Uh, he, he did have surgery, I believe, on his wrist. Uh, he could come back at the end of the year, but you know, I I can't imagine he's ready to play next week against Missouri in that game in Chestnut Hill. He's a really good quarterback. Uh, did some nice things. Notre Dame transfer did some good things for the eagles last year and they had high expectations for what they could do this year they've also got a really good wide receiver nfl left tackle so they have some pieces um but you lose your quarterback different story for sure now missouri fans will come right back with that and say uh the tigers have lost so many games to uh you know backup quarterbacks in the past that kind of haunts those memories still haunt missouri fans but if you have a choice and you're going into this game you would much prefer to have uh, Jerkovich on the sideline with a with a busted up wrist. The other one's Texas A and M. Haynes King uh, got hurt in their game against Colorado. I've seen reports it's a broken ankle. Uh, he's going to be out for a little bit until at least mid October was the the latest report I saw. That's right when the Aggies come to Columbia. Uh, they play October sixteenth. So will he be back by then for that game? Up in the air. Uh, so they're a different team so far this year, again, small sample size, but he's the guy that won the competition for them. Their Jimbo Fisher was really excited about his potential in their offense. And they really struggled moving the ball against Colorado on Saturday. They were fortunate to win in overtime, but, uh, without Hayes King, you know, does that give Missouri a little bit more hope in that, in that matchup? We'll see. It's a long way off, but, uh, you know, they've got a couple of big games before that, before they come to Columbia, including a huge home game against Alabama the week before. So uh, maybe maybe some fortunate things developing for Missouri as far as just future opponents go. But, um, you know, this week it's all about SEMO. We're probably not going to dig into too much analysis of the Red Hawks. They're 0-2. They played number one FCS Sam Houston national champion last week, and it didn't go well. So they will be decided underdogs when they come to Columbia this weekend. And speaking of, we're going to get to our weekly guest uh, who has a lot to say about his time at Mizzou. And again, looking forward to this game because he will be calling it from the press box. Uh, We might have to give Coach Steck directions to the press box. I'm not sure he's ever been up there for for this kind of role, at least. Uh, But let's, let's get to our guest interview. All right. We are now very fortunate to be joined by one of my favorite people I've ever met in, in college football. And uh, he needs no introduction, but we're going to give him one anyway. He was Missouri's linebackers coach from, make sure I got these dates right, 2001 to 2014, defensive coordinator under Gary Pinkle from, from 09 to 14. After that, he spent five years at Missouri State as the head coach. He is a uh, Bruce Springsteen fan, so I, he, he scores high points with, with me on that one. He's a Marine. He's a character. He is Dave Steckel, or as we know him, Steck. No K in Steck. We learned that very early 20 years ago. It's just Steck. 
And uh, it's, it's great to great to see you. Great to uh, hear from you. And the best part is Steck is going to be part of the broadcast crew this weekend doing the Mizzou SEMO game uh, as part of SEC Network Plus. Uh, just part of this this new broadcast career that we want to talk to him about. And uh, it is it's it's great to visit and uh, it's great to have you in college football. Uh, thank you, David. It's good to see you. And thank you for having me on those very humbling words you just said. Thank you very much. Now I gotta I gotta say something here. We met 20 years ago when you when you first came with Gary to Columbia, and uh, you know I think it's fair to say talking to the media wasn't your favorite part of the job, but here here we are 20 years later. You are a published author. Your book The Fisherman, which I I bought very early when it was available and read it. It was great, and now you're a broadcaster. You so you technically are in the media now. Is that fair to say? Well, first of all, that's fair to say. <laughs> and second of all, you know, my ne- my nephew is in the media. And when I did have to talk to the media, he was like, you know, Steck, you do a great job talking to the media. I said, CT, it's not that I can't do it. I don't want to do it. <laughs> so there, there was a difference between the two. Um, but I always respected what the media had to do. And, and I, I really mean this from the bottom of my heart. But the thing I liked about you, David, is you were always fair, you know, and just told the story as it was, whether it was good, bad, or ugly, but you were always fair. And, and that's what some uh, journalists don't do. Some people in the media don't do. They sway their decisions and thoughts some different way. So I figure if they're going to make their story, they could go write their own story. They don't need me to write it. So that was kind of my attitude. Well, I tried. I tried. You were, you were one of the best to cover. And, and, and Gary, the good thing about Gary Stepak, and he, he let us talk to the coaches all the time, kind of develop relationships. And I still keep in touch with, with a lot of you guys. And uh, it, it was a good staff. It was a, it was a really special group. I think that's, 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 I, I can say that now looking back and uh, you know, the longevity that you guys had was so unique and it was unique back then. It's even more unique now that the, the core of you guys were together for um, almost the entire run. That was when you look back on that, can you appreciate that now, knowing how crazy this business is that you're in? Oh, absolutely. But the thing that was really cool is we kind of knew it as we were going through it. Yeah. Um, and we were like family. And even like, you know, when Eber, Eber left and now he's doing a great job with the Colts and, you know, yeah. Coach C left. It, everybody stayed stayed close, stayed in touch. You know, we still have some group text messages. And um, yes, we did know it going through. And it was like a bittersweet when it all ended, because even though we'll be friends for life, you know, we still miss that bond and camaraderie. And the thing that was really cool about it too, that people don't realize and get involved in is, is all the families were close. The kids were yeah. close, the, the wives were close. So it was a very unique situation that we had together. And I'm, I'm very fortunate that I was a part of that with Coach Pinkle. So let's catch up. What have, what have you been doing? You're now in broadcasting. You, you do radio work with, for Coastal Carolina. Such an interesting team and program. Had that great season last year. So tell us how you are, you know, kind of involved now and in, in, in kind of starting this broadcast career for you. Yeah, it was, uh, it kind of went back. It was something I kind of always wanted to do because uh, from the start part of broadcasting, to be able to talk about the game and uh, still continue, contribute back. You know, we had the separation agreement in Missouri State. Uh, good Lord blessed me there because I always teased everybody about, boy, wouldn't it be fun to have a buyout and sit on my rear end and still get paid? <laughs> so, so that, so that's working for me right now. And, uh, um, we had some X's and O's that get through last year with, uh, you know, the COVID and all that stuff. And I was fortunate enough to, to be a part of uh, the third wheel of coastal Carolina. 
And ESPN rec highly recommend that to go get my voice out there, to learn, to study, to figure out how to, to do it because it's a unique situation and uh, it's not easy. And I, it's amazing all the work that goes into it that I had to learn. So uh, the guys at Coastal Carolina, Joe Cashin, who's the play-by-play uh, -play guy, really took me under his wing and taught me how to do the call sheets and make sure I memorize their names and quit saying number 15, number 27, number 59. Um, so they really gave me a great learning experience. And, and I had a blast with them last year. And it was a lot of fun to get on there and talk about the game. And the thing that was so much fun after the game, David, was when the game was over, it was over. <laughs> it wasn't having to, how do I get them ready for the next game? What about this? What about that? Sleepless, tossing, turning. Slept awesome after those radio games. Yeah, I can imagine that's a dramatic shift. Just the the so much baggage you take with you when the game's over and then getting ready for the next one. And it's just completely different uh, lifestyle more than anything. Yeah. It's really crazy. Like I'll never forget, um, you know, when we, when we beat the uh, 2010, when we beat Oklahoma at home yeah. and the place was crazy going nuts. And I was so honored and humbled when, when Desmond Howard came into the college game was there, he came in the locker room looking for me, congratulate, hey, great game, yada, yada. And we went home that night and my whole family was there, my nieces and stuff and my nephew. And, you know, I, I always have my one Jack Daniels before I go to bed. And it's, it's like two o'clock in the morning and, and my nie all my nieces and daughter and stuff were hovered in the kitchen with my wife, with Mary Beth. I'm like, what's going on? I'm like, oh, nothing. They all scattered, you know. And then, as you know, on Sundays, we had Victory Sunday. So I, I got home about 7.30, quarter eight. I always brought my homework home to do my self-scout I looked at Mary Beth. I said, hey, by the way, what was that about with the girls? You know, wh why was – I'll never forget. She said, Steck, the girls said, if this is how you are after you win, we don't ever want to be around you when you lose. <laughs> and I thought, wow, you know, that's really it, – it was a great win. It was a great experience. But you don't get to enjoy the wins as much as you want to as it's happening. Right. Right. Absolutely. Is there a part of it all though that you miss? Is there you go you're on game days and you're you're at a home game or you're gonna do a, a game like this weekend? Um, what's what's something that you don't experience right now that you you miss out on? Uh, what what the whole world misses out on they don't understand is it's the locker room. It's, yeah. it's the locker room. It's the relationships. It's the players. It's the hours and hours of preparation and you know the uh, the investment that you put into it. And then the game planning, all of it, the, you know, just the relationships. It, you know, those Mondays, we were in there for 12 hours, game planning nonstop and arguing and fighting and putting things together. But when we walked out, our staff was very close. And then the players bought into the game plan and worked their rear ends off. And game day comes, you're in the locker room. And then you go win a game. You get to go in there and dance a little bit after the game and stuff. And it's just that camaraderie, that relationships that the game has football has brings to you that people don't understand unless a, they've played it or B they go in those locker rooms. Yeah. Yeah. Are you, have you decided, are you done coaching? I'm sure you've had offers. There's so many jobs now with all these analyst jobs that are out there or, or, or is this it for you? You think? I don't know. You know, right now, the good Lord blessed me with this radio gig and TV gig, which I'm very fortunate. And I thank God every day that I have an opportunity to that, but I'm never going to say never in coaching. You know, I did talk to some people last year, uh, Mary Beth and I have decided though, that I'm not going to do it unless it's the right place or the right person. And I probably should say the right person in the right place because 
you know, no offense, I'm not going back to the University of Minnesota, even though I worked for, you know, Lou Holtz was a great coach. Too cold for stack split up there, you know, unless they only let me coach on indoors. But uh, it's got to be the right place and the right person. And yeah, I, I still got a lot of youth left in me. You know, yeah. I'm still a little, I'm still a little kid on heart. I'm like, like you brought up Springsteen earlier, man. I'm still born to run, so I'm good. <laughs> I thought of you last week, and I thought you'd be a good person to talk to. And this was before I even knew you were broadcasting this game. Uh, Missouri's playing Southeast Missouri State. Missouri always plays one FCS game a year. Um, you've been on both sides of these kind of games. I mean, for for 14 years at Missouri, you always had one FCS game. I think they called it one double A probably in those early years. And then obviously at Missouri State, you, you, you had games every year against a, a power five team. Um, you've been in both facilities preparing for a game like this. Kind of take us into the mind of, I guess, first the power five coach. What's he telling his team this week? Not necessarily Eli Drinkwitz, but what is, what's the power five coach telling his team, getting them ready for a game where everybody is expecting them to win and it not to be particularly close, even though we see these upsets happen all the time. The, the voice of the power five coach, and I'm sure coach drink is doing it because I have great respect for that guy. He's running a heck of a program here. Um, he's telling all those kids, Hey, don't underestimate them. You know, these guys have a chip on their shoulder. You have to prepare for them and uh, make sure you're focused, make sure you're still doing attention to detail and all the things that coaches coach speaks speaks when they're trying to convince them. And the, probably the more you try to convince them that, stay consistent, play your game, do what you're supposed to do. The more you try to convince them, you're probably reinforcing that, you know, we're better than these guys, you know, yeah. but let's prepare the way we're supposed to prepare. And it's, it's a hard sell to the point of, like you just said, all the fans are going to say, you know, they're going to blow out Southeast Missouri state. Or like when we came up there at Missouri state, they're going to blow them out. And, you know, I don't remember, I remember the game at the end got out of hand, but, but we were right there with them toe to toe all the way through yeah. at Missouri. And I remember playing the, uh, you know, what flashed my head, uh, FCS that flashes my head from, from the Mizzou side was, you know, we're playing South Dakota State, if you remember. First snap was a fumble snap, quarterback hits it, tailback grabs it. It was like 82 yards for a touchdown, you know. And next thing you know, we get a turnover, they go back in the score and say, it's 14 nothing. Yeah. And you're on the sidelines going, hey, guys, we said they could play, you know. Yeah. And, and it feels like they're just wallowing through, um, going through the motions. And that's not of it of all the time. Right. So you're really, you're really trying to convince these kids that these guys are on scholarship. They're good football players. And the kids are saying, well, if they're such good football players, why aren't they at Mizzou? Why are they at Southeast Missouri state? Right. And, and the kids can say what they want to say, but they think that way. And that's why a lot of games are close. Yeah. Because Southeast Missouri state's coming up there with a chip on their shoulder saying, we want to play you. We want to go with play with the big boys. And I think it was two years ago, they got beat 50, nothing. I understand. Yeah. But it wasn't 50 nothing in the first quarter. It was nip and tuck. And then they finally realized we got to pull this out. Right. Um, so I think it's both sides of the fence. I think it might be a little different from Mizzou. I think. I don't know. I'm not in their locker room. You know, they're coming off a very heartbreaking loss. Yeah. And they need to get back on a winning circle here to get to two and one and stuff. So you'd like to hope and think that they're, they're drinking the Kool-Aid that Coach Drink has given them. Yeah. That's, that was a play on words there. <laughs> but uh, – uh, hopefully they're drinking the Kool-Aid and they're listening to them. They're staying focused and they're preparing and they need to make it an easy game. So in the third quarter, I have to learn all the second and third string guys' names too, to announce them because they need to get playing time. They need to get experience. Yeah. On the flip side, when you're in that, your, your locker room and you're 
going up to Missouri or you're playing uh, Oklahoma State or whoever it might be, what are you telling your guys? I mean, it's a classic nothing to lose, everything to gain, but you, you don't want to um, – you don't want to discount their chances. So how, how do you, how do you handle those weeks? This is our time to shine. You know, this is your shot. You, you guys all want to have aspirations. You want to go to the NFL. Well, you want to go to the NFL. You got to play against really good competition. You're getting ready to play. We're getting ready to play Oklahoma State. We're getting ready to play Mizzou. Okay. These guys are SEC. These guys are big 12. And Oh, by the way, guys, remember back up here on your shoulder, you get to keep that little chip there because they didn't want you. Yeah. And don't say they did, because if they did, you'd be there. So now it's your chance to prove that they made a mistake recruiting you. So let's go out and play, you know, play like we always have, yada, yada, yada. But keep in the back of your mind that you have something to prove here. Yeah. That that 17 game, I had to look it up just to kind of recall the details. But when you brought that team to uh, when you brought Bears to Columbia and no one could get a stop for a while. But, you know, it's late third quarter. And you guys were right in that game. And what what'd you what'd you take away from from that experience? It had to be strange for you, for one, because you, you lived on that sideline for 14 years, and now you're on the other sideline. Well, I try to tell people I was okay with that sideline because during scrimmages, that's where Pinkle put the defense. So <laughs> I was okay. I, I felt at home over on that sideline. But it, it, it was fun. I remember, you know, some people were being honored. I remember before the game, uh, Spoon meet me at half the midfield with Michael Shearer. Yeah. We're having a little cry fest because we haven't seen each other in so long and stuff, you know. I remember when they introduced Spoon, Mary Beth and Amanda were by the field with him. And she, he got over and, and, and gave him a big hug and a kiss. And then he, you know, told me I was number one with a different finger because now he was Mizzou Tiger. Gave <laughs> me a, you know, we're going to kick your rear end and stuff. So, so I remember that. And I remember our kids playing so hard. And then I also, though, remember, which I still have scars about, and I got to let it go and have forgiveness because the game's out of hand. I think it was two minutes left in the game, 2.30, and Hypo calls that bomb and throws another one on the touch, you know, and scores and goes up 70 when, you know, 63 ass kicking is good enough. You don't have to throw the bomb with two minutes left in the game. You know, let's, let's run the ball and go home. But <laughs> I, what I love was our kids play their hearts out, and at the end, you know, Mizzou, which they are, bigger, stronger, tougher, and they, they won the fourth quarter. Yeah. Yeah, man, that was, that was, it's, it was kind of surreal. Cause um, at the time I just remember thinking like, are we seeing one of these games that's going to lead off sports center? And is it an FCS team that upset? Cause we see it every week. And it, that one had the makings of it. Um, you mentioned spoon. I was just starting to think about some of the great players you had here in Columbia and man, you had just the linebacker position alone. Um, when you look back on all those guys, I mean, I'm not going to tell you to pick favorites, but what, what was that like? I mean, it was just like a, not necessarily a ton of NFL guys. I mean, Spoon was the exception, but you just always had that guy, whether it was Brock Christopher, Luke Lambert, the late Marcus Bacon. I mean, you had, you had so many guys there. What was it like, you know, being in that, that group that just that line that you had of, of really good linebackers, really good college linebackers? They were, they were very, very talented. They were great athletes. They loved football, which was a big criteria for me, but the truth is that, you know, God blessed me there because my first job was sixth grade. And sometimes <laughs> in that room, it was like teaching sixth graders, you know? Um, and I mean that in the kindest, most gentlest. They, they, they were kids at heart. They were humble. They loved each other. They came in there and when it was time to work, they, the thing I loved about them was the time to work, they worked. And even yeah. when I was a coordinator with the defense, when it's time to work, we worked. 
And when it's time to goof off, oh my God, it was like, I got to get out of here because this is getting carried away. And I mean, they just had so much fun, not with just each other, but with life. Right. And then, and then, but you know, I, I kind of tease them about that, but the same flip side is, you know, they all graduated. Yeah. Which, which I'm, I'm proud of them for that. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I, I think maybe as time goes on, maybe people forget this, but I, I don't, that you were the primary recruiter. Correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, you had, you had Chase Daniel. You had Denario Alexander, you had Henry Josie. And I'm just thinking those three, you could make the case are the best player in Mizzou history at their positions. Definitely Chase, Denario's top two or three, Henry's in the top five. You had, you had. Okay, not to, I got to correct you real quick. I, did, I, I didn't have, the Cool had Henry. Oh, that's right. Okay. Cool right. Henry. I had, I had Ziggy Hood. Ziggy Hood. Well, there you go. One of the best D tackles ever. So, um, well, that, that the common denominator there is Texas. Um, you guys just made a living down there getting those players that maybe the Longhorns didn't want or Texas A&M maybe didn't want or Oklahoma didn't have room for. But um, as time goes on, just what you guys were able to do down there recruiting, just how much did that form really the part of the core of that program over, over a decade and a half? Absolutely. Well, and I think it all goes back to you talked about the locker room, it's relationships. Yes. And we went down there and as a staff, we really worked hard at recruiting and we built relationships with the high school coaches. And you're right. And the truth is Texas, Texas A&M and Oklahoma. And after that, it was really a free fall for everybody else. I mean, yeah. every school that went down there, you know, Texas, Texas A&M and Oklahoma after that, then, then everybody had a free for all. And we just worked really hard at building relationships and being sincere and, and telling the moms and dads and what, what our, our, our goal and our, our vision was for their, their players. Yeah. And I think what really took us over was when we, we recruited Chase and Chase, Brad Smith started changing the dynamics of our football program. Yeah. And then Chase put an explanation point on it. And when that happened, now the Texas kids said, Whoa, Chase Daniel went there. We got to take a hard look at this thing. Right. And then, and then Chase turned into a great recruiter and Ziggy turned into a good recruiter. And these guys all helped start recruiting other Texas kids. And then Andy Hill and Cornell Ford, you know, they put the fence up around Missouri. Yeah. The kids start staying in Missouri. Going to Missouri was cool. Yeah. And I hope that's what they're doing now. I hope their kids in Missouri are growing up and saying, you know what? They got something going over there. Going to Missouri is kind of cool. Uh-huh. Do you think as, as more time passes, it seems like maybe people might appreciate a little bit more what Gary and you guys did over the long haul. I mean, he's a, he's a finalist right now for the College Football Hall of Fame. I think he's going to get in. He's, he's the most accomplished coach on the ballot right now. Um, to do what you guys did at a place where it's been proven it's not easy to win here. Um, obviously you are biased, but the job you guys did do as time passes on, are you able to appreciate a little bit more? You know, absolutely. I remember when somebody was talking to me and, you know, you mentioned jobs last year and someone called up and um, I said, are you sure he's really interested? He's like, well, Steck, you know, you're a D coordinator in the big 12 and a big coordinator in the SEC. I'm like, I had to think about that going, oh, yeah, I was. We were in the Big 12, and, and you know, we won three Norse. Yeah. Now, it was our fault, and a couple of them were my fault that we didn't put the stamp on winning the outright Big 12. And then we go to the SEC, and they say, you, can, you can't win there. Right. And then if I remember correctly, we're uh, five and six or five and seven our first year. Right. And I felt so bad because the offensive line was depleted, the injuries – and, you know, Coach Pinkle, and I agree with him, we didn't even make any excuses about that. 
Right. And then we go back in 13 and 14, it went back to back. So you go three Big 12 Norths, you went two SECs back to back. When we first go in there, when people say we couldn't do it, I, first of all, Pinkle, there should be a statuette for Oakfield if there's not. And yeah. he should go to the College Hall of Fame. And I hope people don't forget because looking back, God blessed us. What, what a great cast of players we had, what a great staff we had, and the accomplishments we made looking back, that was pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a good note to end it on. Um, really appreciate this deck. Uh, best of luck on the call. I'm gonna have to. We're gonna have to turn up the sound in the press box so we can we can hear your uh, brilliant analysis and and w- let us know what's really happening out there on the field. There you go. I don't know if it'll be brilliant, but I know I'll drop some Springsteen knowledge on everybody. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Make sure. I don't know if they have a six six second uh, bleep or anything like that. So you, you did well here today. You, you, um, you know how to how to handle these interviews. Got to got to watch the language. It's always it's always a challenge. You know what it is, but I tell everybody, the only one that can stick up for me is my wife, because, you know, when I taught sixth grade, I never, never, no word ever came out. So I just put that, when I talk to the media like you, and and, uh, when I talk on TV tomorrow, I'll pretend like I'm talking to sixth graders. Okay. All right. That's fair enough. (laughs) All right. Thanks, Tech. Appreciate it. Thank you, David. I I meant what I said. I really appreciate how fair and honest you were for us, and I appreciate you covering our team. You're a good man. Yeah, that means a lot. That means a lot. Take care. All right, see you, Sarah.